Hey folks, big announcement. I am now doing in-person readings in New York City at Earth Angel Crystal. It's just one subway stop from Manhattan. If you're in the New York City area and want a mediumship reading or a card reading with me, you now have a place to see me in person. For more information, go to juanfranciscospirit.com slash readings. You'll find everything you need to know on my website to set up your appointment. I can't wait to meet you in person. So today I want to talk about sleep paralysis. I had my own experience of sleep paralysis, and uh, I I shared it with a few people, but it was such a strong experience, <laughs> and well, more an intense experience, that's the better word to use, an intense experience, and I don't know if it is supernatural, paranormal, or just there's something scientific behind it. I'm sure it's a, uh, I'm sure it's a bit of both, but before I delve into sleep paralysis, I want to read a comment that someone left on my last episode on Halloween. Was it pay? Is it a pagan holiday originally? What's the history of it? Um, and this person left a really, a really insightful comment on the YouTube version of that episode. So I'm going to read it. This is Kavik. I'm pronouncing the name right. Um, they commented this on the video and this is what they said. Let's delve into the world of historical fact. Uh Oh, Uh, Completely contrary to what many would have one believe, Halloween is not a holiday that has close ties to the ancient past, nor does it have some, quote, pagan antecedent, nor is it a continuation of several ancient customs. It is a relatively new phenomenon originating from right here in the USA from about the 1920s or so and represents a mix of cultures, capitalism, and accommodation. Many people tend to associate modern Halloween with three things. The old Celtic celebration of Samhain, asserting that most of Halloween's customs originate with ancient Samhain celebrations. Satanism, asserting that Halloween's origins are satanic, as evidenced by the many Satanists who use this day to promote their beliefs. And All Saints Day, asserting that the early church established a holiday to Christianize Samhain. Perhaps the most difficult aspect of researching these various origins, traditions, and assumed truths about Halloween is sifting through all the data and separating what is historical fact from the myth, legend, and religious paranoia of what is historical fiction. It's not an easy task. Indeed, what makes this task even more difficult is that so many of these ill-researched, quote, facts, suppositions, and assumptions have been repeated for so long, they have essentially become accepted as truth. One can find these asserted facts in everything ranging from various educational websites to entries in dictionaries, encyclopedias, and even in some scholarly articles. I'm going to stop halfway, Kavik. So, Kavik, um, first of all, Halloween, as it is today in the USA, as it has been for the last 50 to 100 years, especially the last 50 years, is extremely commercialized. 100% agree with you there. Capitalism has played a huge role in the way Halloween is today in the United States, for sure. And um, I think that it's fair to say that things... Well, this is interesting because you said that there's Samhain, there are other holidays that may have the same quote-unquote feeling as Halloween and that these things were developed by cultures independent of each other. That's interesting, though. So why would independent cultures rely on a similar time of the year to create these holidays? Actually, you say this in your second half. I'm going to read the second half of your comments. Uh, What we find after close examination and scrutiny, however, is that the accepted origin of most Halloween traditions' beliefs comes from the latter, historical fiction, rather than the former, historical fact. 
Contrary to what many believe or were taught, all three holidays, Halloween, All Saints Day, and Samhain, developed completely independent of each other. They do, however, all share a common date and perhaps a feeling, but that's really about it. Indeed, so much of Halloween feels pagan that attempts to connect those things to ancient Samhain simply feels right. The truth is, to say Halloween's connections to ancient Samhain are, at best, extremely tenuous would be grossly overstating the facts. What is definitely known about Samhain would fit on about one side of a piece of paper. Halloween just does not have the pagan precedent so many people seem to desperately want it to. It might also be mentioned that until the middle of the 20th century, anthropologists typically assumed that any festival, however new it actually was and no matter where it came from, had ancient pagan roots, even if the people celebrating it gave a different story and were, di- and were therefore thought to be ignorant of its origins. There was a romanticization of rural cultures, ooh, ooh, excuse me, rural cultures, such that it was thought the rural folk were holders of ancient wisdom, but simultaneously ignorant that they held wisdom or that it was ancient, so they needed academics to explain it to them, based on theories that have long been discredited. So, you mentioned how like Halloween, All Saints Day, and Samhain were developed completely independent of each other, but they have a common date and perhaps a feeling. But my question is why? Why would they all be similar? Like having to do with an, the other side? Um, and be around the same time, you know? And uh, I think you bring up really interesting points. It kind of makes me think of St. Valentine's Day, or just Val- Valentine's Day. It's named after a saint. But candy on Valentine's Day, from what I know, has nothing to do with the story of St. Valentine, canonized by the Catholic Church. So I'm assuming we can say maybe the same thing, well, the same thing for for. The month of December, um, the month of December, uh, there's Christmas, there's Hanukkah. Um, these are obviously important holidays to these two religions, you know, Judaism, uh, well, Christianity and Judaism, respectively. So now there, there are thoughts about Hanukkah. Some people of the Jewish faith feel that Hanukkah was created in, uh, was, was, um, was established and it's in December to coincide with other holidays. Um, but then, you know, Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ. And the theories are that Jesus Christ was born in maybe the month of June or July. That's what they say, not the month of December. So, and I, belay, I believe, um, I heard this recently, and I wonder if it's true, but that with the winter equinox, that is what, that's the reason Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ, was placed at the end of our calendar year because it coincided with the winter equinox. So I, I, I just find it interesting that all of these things relate somehow, even if they were not created at the same time or with the same intention. There's something, there's something similar to all of these recognitions of major events or phenomena, right? Or the phenomena that people believe in. I, for one, the resources that I read, I believe it was the Encyclopedia Britannica, and an article by History.com. I've worked with people at History.com in my public relations field, and they are very good at being as accurate as possible. And with the Encyclopedia Britannica, if we can't believe the encyclopedias of the world, then what do we believe? So I'm, I, I do have a resistance to being cynical about what an encyclopedia will say. Now, encyclopedias are written by humans, of course, but if I can't trust an encyclopedia to give me history, what can I trust? So I, I agree with some points you made. 
But there are other points I'm like, well, then what, what do we rely on? Do we rely? I mean, I, I, maybe I should look into the studies. But even you said that some scholarly articles give incorrect history about Halloween and Samhain. So where do I go? <laughs> and maybe I'll do some Googling. But I feel compelled to say that if I read it in an encyclopedia, a well-known encyclopedia, and I read it from history.com, which I know is a TV channel in the United States, but I, I've personally worked with a writer or two at history.com, and they are very good at information and accuracy. They do their absolute best. I can say that from firsthand experience. I'm going to trust those sources, but I guess we can trust whatever sources we want to. At the end of the day, um, I'm not trying to misinform. I did quote these sources. I don't have a personal opinion on Halloween and how it started. I just wanted to explore it. And I, I'm thankful, Kavik, that you wanted to hear it in my episode and you wanted to explore it as well. And thank you for your comment. I think it's important to have conversations and get other ideas or other sides of a coin. And maybe we'll, won't, we won't ever get the answer because like you said, there's not much that we know about Samhain. It could only fit on one side of a piece of paper. So maybe we won't ever know whether there really is a link between Halloween and Samhain. And if we want to discredit that idea, I mean, it's not going to do anything to us today, but I definitely don't want to be misinformed. But I wanted to read Kavik's comment because um, they invested a lot of time into their comment and, I, and a lot of good thought into it. And I wanted to give it the justice of reading it on the podcast. Now, today I am referring to online sources by medical professionals. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we will feel comfortable or like we're good with the sources I, I look to today. Sleep paralysis. I'm going to share with you my personal experience of sleep paralysis. Now, I want to share a content warning because there is description of what may sound like sexual assault in the story I'm going to tell. When I told the story to some people, they kind of like looked at me like, huh? That's what? Like, like I was a weirdo? But this is what happened. This is what happened in my sleep paralysis episode. So I was on a trip with my then boyfriend in Key West, Florida. And I'll admit that Key, I've known Key West to be a haunted town. It's known for its haunts and, it go, and its uh, ghosts and paranormal activities. And I had that mindset already, to be very fair as I was traveling to Key West, and when I stayed the night at this hotel. My boyfriend and I had a room to ourselves, whereas other people in our party had other rooms in the suite that we all split on. And in the room, imagine um, being on a double bed, and there's my boyfriend to my right of me, and we're sleeping. And I am facing a wall, and to the left of the wall... Was it to the left of the wall? I'm trying to remember whether there was a door at the, f at the foot of the bed to the left on the left wall or a door on the left wall next to my head where I was sleeping. But anyways, I quote unquote wake up in the middle of the night and I cannot move. I cannot speak. And immediately, like within less than two seconds or a second of me realizing that I can't move. Well, actually, what I think it was that I woke up and I, it all happened so fast. I woke up and as soon as I realized that I couldn't move, this black 
figure of a man, like a silhouette of a man, walks from walks from the wall as if like walking through the wall, walks out of the wall to the left of my feet. And as soon as I see him and I realize I can't move, I'm freaking out and I'm starting to mumble and I can't speak either. So I'm laying on my back, right? And my arms are at my side. I'm I'm comfortably laying down, but I can't move anything. And so I have this silhouette shadow of a man just looking at me from the foot of the bed at my feet, looking at me. And in my dream, I could feel my boyfriend next to me and I could see the room. <laughs> I could see the room and my boyfriend, I could sense my boyfriend next to me. And in my peripheral vision, I could see my boyfriend next to me. This silhouette starts putting his hands on the bed next to my feet. One hand first, the other hand second, and then puts one knee up on the bed and starts climbing onto the bed and coming up to me. But then he stops, and this is where it gets a little bit, this is a content warning. He stops at my midsection, and he tries to touch me in the groin area of my body, inappropriately. And I'm freaking out. I'm mumbling. I'm trying to, like, say something to have my boyfriend wake up. I'm trying to, like, move my arms so I could, like, nudge my boyfriend. I couldn't move a single muscle. I couldn't say a single thing. I could only mumble. And I could remember, I could feel this silhouette's physical touch on my body. And all my muscles in my midsection to groin area, my, especially the groin area, my muscle, I was contracting my muscles because I thought that could like be a way to prevent him from doing anything to my body. I, I can remember the feeling of contracting my muscles in my groin area as if like that was going to do something. I don't know, like tightening my muscles. And then, and I could see the silhouette like looking up at me, like I don't see a face, but I see the, the, the silhouette, I see the head and is looking up at me. And then my boyfriend wakes me up like, hey, wake up, wake up. That's, that's the next thing I hear. And I wake up and I'm able to move and I'm like, holy crap, what was that? I was so freaked out that the next morning I went to the front desk of the hotel and asked if the hotel was haunted. <laughs> Not realizing this was a very, this was sleep paralysis. This was a, a very common experience. It was terrifying. I mean, to some people, it may sound really weird, and I hate to say it, but to some people I told, it sounded funny. But if you were in a dream, and you were feeling like you couldn't move, and you couldn't speak, and something was going to touch you against your will, you'd be freaking out too, okay? But some people found it funny because they're like, excuse me? Like, what? Like, what? (sighs) Anyways... And I kind of wondered, like, you know, other people have sleep paralysis episodes, but they don't get touched that way. And I'm wondering, like, did this silhouette thing that it, I mean, it saw that I was in bed with my boyfriend sleeping. Um, Did this thing know or did this thing understand that I'm in a romantic relationship with this guy? So he's trying to, like, mock me or something or like, I don't know. It was very odd. So that was my sleep paralysis episode. Very short, but very, I mean, I can remember it to this day very clearly. So here is what the, what Mount Sinai, a medical institution, this is what Mount Sinai 
says about sleep paralysis. The exact cause of sleep paralysis is not fully known. Research shows the following are linked to sleep paralysis. One, not getting enough sleep. Two, having an irregular sleep schedule, such as with shift workers, people who work shifts. Three, mental stress. And four, sleeping on your back. I don't know about the sleeping on your back thing, but well. And they say certain medical problems can be associated with sleep paralysis, like sleep disorders, like narcolepsy, some mental conditions like bipolar disorder, PTSD, panic disorder, um, the use of certain medicines, such as for ADHD and substance use. And they say that sleep paralysis occurs when the sleep cycle is shifting between stages. When you wake up suddenly from REM, rapid eye movement sleep, your brain is awake, but your body is still in REM mode and can't move, causing you to feel like you're paralyzed. Episodes of sleep paralysis last from a few seconds to one or two minutes. These spells end on their own or when you are touched or move. In rare cases, you can have dreamlike sensations or hallucinations, which may be scary. Sounds like me, right? Now, here is some more information or some more insight from the National Library of Medicine. This was a report from 2016. Um, They also said the sleep paralysis, abbreviated by them as SP, occurs when rapid eye movement-based atonia perseverates. Ooh, I got to look what that word means. Into wakefulness. That sounds like a very fancy way to say exactly what Mount Sinai said. Um, And it says, perhaps not surprisingly, the presence of poor sleep and or sleep disruption is associated with SP. Certain personality traits may also be risk factors. For instance, high levels of disassociation, imaginativeness, and beliefs in the paranormal supernatural have been linked to SP. Hmm. Let's read one more piece of content that they put out there in a 2018 report. It has been linked with other underlying psych- psychiatry, uh, psychiatry, excuse me, <laughs> psychiatry, familial, and sleep disorders. And they said that spells of SP have been associated with medical conditions such as narcolepsy, seizure disorders, hypertension, um, and sleep disturbances, insomnia, jet lag, African descent, student status, and occupation have been associated with SP. I'll go into the uh, ethnic part, the eth- ethnic identity part of it in just a bit. SP has been associated with some psychiatry disorders as well as individuals who have experienced one form of trauma or the other. Studies have shown that SP may be more common in certain populations, certain cultural groups. In a survey conducted among Chinese adolescents, SP was found to be higher in the rural areas compared to urban settlements. Reports also support the fact that the highest rate of SP is found among individuals with an African and Asian descent. Similarly, Asian college students also reported the highest rates of SP compared to other ethnic groups. Likewise, the most populous African nation, Nigeria, has also reported an increased rate of SP. The causes of SP are unknown, but studies have identified the potential risk factors such as substance use, stress, trauma, genetic influences, physical illness, irregular sleeping habit, among others. SP has been shown to be particularly prevalent in adults who have the past histories of childhood sexual abuse, people with PTSD and panic disorder in the African-American society. And the last bit I'm going to read from the National Library of Medicine, some studies have shown that 30% of individuals will experience at least one episode during their lifetime of SP, and 5% will have one episode with visual, auditory, and tactile hallucinations. That's what I had. That's second. I'm at 5%. Um, The percentage of African Americans with panic disorders as it relates to SP was higher compared to the general population. This could be due to genetic and environmental factors. SP has been shown to be common in patients who have been diagnosed with narcolepsy. 
Um, the stigma associated with individuals suffering from SP has also prevented sufferers from reporting at medical institutions. As such, most sufferers revert to other confidential means such as herbalists, religious leaders, and traditional priests for a solution. The current knowledge on, on SP is somewhat limited as there is still a paucity of, record, of reports on the risk factors of SP, triggers for SP, and the long-term damage from SP. So, I'm tired of saying SP, so I'm going to say sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis, scientists have an idea of what causes it, and it seems to be suddenly waking up from rapid eye movement sleep. But they're not sure how to treat it. It seems to just go on its own, but there are also other possible factors that may contribute to sleep paralysis, and I listed a whole bunch of them a few times. But also in the Mount Sinai content, it said that, or was it Mount Sinai or, or was it about the paranormal and the supernatural? One of these said, <laughs> I'm already forgetting. These things tend to, aha, uh-huh, it, it was National Library of Medicine, that certain personality traits may be risk factors for sleep paralysis. Some of them are high levels of beliefs in the paranormal and supernatural. That means that in some cases, it could be that it could be the case that we are believing ourselves into something like this happening, or we're, we're making ourselves believe that something like this could happen. So therefore it happens like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, I don't know what to make of it. Sleep paralysis is a pretty universal experience as delved into in this national library of medicine uh, report about the different ethnic groups that experience it at high levels. And one actually said that Cambodians, in, in, the, in, in Cambodia, people are experiencing it at really high levels, and they seem to have a really high level over there of panic. Um, I, think, I think it was panic disorders or stress disorders. So I don't know. But, but the, what I'm wondering is, okay, so disruption from REM sleep, like waking up suddenly from REM sleep. I understand, I'm not trying to question science here, but I just don't understand why we have to see a figure in the room. Because seeing someone in the room, a figure, is a very common experience of sleep paralysis. Why do we see figures in the room? Some people see an old lady. Some people see a black shadow like I did. Most people see black shadows. My mother, I remember my mother told me, she doesn't remember this anymore, but I remember I was sleeping next to her as a three or four year old and she had the same, She the way she heard in her, the way she sounded, I mean to say in her sleep, is the same way I seemed to sound when my boyfriend woke me up, that I was mumbling, I couldn't move. And she said the next day to me and my dad that she saw this figure at the end of the bed with like bare ears, which is odd. So this is a thing that people see figures during sleep paralysis in their room, full-bodied figures. Why? What's the scientific reason for seeing a creepy full-bodied figure? I just don't understand it. And I recently saw on TikTok or Instagram, when I say recently, it was the last two years, someone made, uh, someone designed or created artistically this video of what it's like to be in the point of, through the, in the point of view of someone experiencing sleep paralysis. They made a video, like an animation. And it was exactly what I experienced. Some people, like my mother, just see a figure standing at the foot of the bed or in the room, and they can't move or, or, or say anything. This video depicted there being a figure at the end of the bed and then crawling up onto your body towards your face. That's almost exactly how I... When I saw the video, I'm like, holy moly, that's almost like what I experienced. That's crazy. So this is a universal experience. It's not just something that someone like me 
who believes in the paranormal, the supernatural, or at least likes to explore these things, experiences. So I'm curious, what do you think of sleep paralysis? If you are someone who has experienced sleep paralysis, I would love to hear your story. If you're comfortable with it, I would love to have you on the podcast to talk about it. If your experience is different from mine, maybe you saw an old lady. Maybe the, the, the figure just stood at the end of your bed. Um, some people suffer with this often in their lives. Some people have recurrent sleep paralysis, which I saw was another diagnosis that that I saw in some of these articles, recurrent sleep paralysis, which I can only imagine is so disruptive and, and unsettling. I'm not trying to take advantage of anyone's story, but I, I'm just really curious as to what people's experiences of sleep paralysis is like, are like. So if you've had experience with this, with SP, as it's abbreviated, and you want to share your experience with anonymously, or by you know naming you, let me know. I would love to talk to you about what your experience is like, if it was different from mine, and how you felt when you had the experience. But otherwise, it seems to be a very, very commonplace thing to experience in our lives. Um, even though I'm only part of a 5% of people who see a figure or something otherworldly, I don't know what to make of it. I'm pretty undecided about it. Um, and I've heard often that it's one of those things that science really has yet to figure out. And these articles say that because not many people report this, so it can't be studied and it's very unpredictable as well. I leave it up to you to decide what you think of sleep paralysis. And if you've never experienced it, believe me, you don't want to experience it. I know it sounds like, Ooh, that sounds creepy. I want to know what that's like. I get it. I get the same kind of curiosity myself. But I'm telling you, it is pretty terrifying. It is terrifying. So don't wish yourself to experience it. Unless you want to believe, your, you know, if you want to believe yourself into experiencing it, like these articles say, go ahead. <laughs> like, I will have sleep paralysis tonight and see how that works. But I don't recommend it. I highly don't recommend it because it is very nightmarish. So let me know what you think. Sleep paralysis. Is it paranormal? or supernatural? Or is it scientific? Is it totally biological? Is it a mix of both? Curious to hear your thoughts. And with that, I leave you to the rest of your day. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week or weekend, whenever and wherever you listen. If you have a question or topic you want me to cover on Third Eyesight, head to my website, juanfranciscospirit.com slash contact and send a message my way. If you really enjoyed this episode, leave a review wherever you listen. I'd really appreciate it.